What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, it's one of those episodes where it's just me talking to you. The topic, charter flights, this week on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, we all know that commercial airline travel is an ordeal. It's just a nightmare. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And Major League Baseball teams travel on their own charters. And normally, it's fantastic because here's the way normally, and I say normally because this is not always the case, but normally what happens is you'll get in two buses and you'll drive to the airport and you'll go right onto the tarmac. You avoid the terminals, go right onto the tarmac, get off of the bus and walk right onto the plane And then the plane takes off and it lands in the new city. There are two buses waiting for it. You get off the plane, you get on the bus. The buses go right to the team hotel. There is a table set up in the lobby with everyone's name on a little envelope. You find your name, it has your room key and your room number and you're checked in and you go to your room and about an hour or two later, your luggage arrives. Fantastic, right? You're salivating. I know. I know. I was incredibly spoiled. But uh, things don't always go as planned. And I'm going to share a couple of stories with you now of some of my uh, travel adventures, traveling with major league ball clubs, because, well, number one, they're funny, and number two, they're true, And number three, it might be a little heartening to you to know that even, even the best of situations can be fraught with problems. So the first one I'm going to tell you about is from 1991 when I was with the Baltimore Orioles. Now, I should mention that when most major league teams charter a flight, They'll do it through one of the major airlines, like Delta or Alaska. And so you get your own full plane. And obviously, 
it's not going to be full. So everybody gets, are you ready? Their own row. The manager and the coaches, they sit up front in first class on the nice big fat seats. But I much prefer to be in coach where, like I said, we have our own row. But with the Orioles, they kind of went a different way. We were sort of chartering different planes, but we were told that we were having a special plane that was being designed for us, and it would not be ready at the beginning of the season. It would be ready at the All-Star break. We were all very excited about this. It was going to be the lap of luxury. So now we're closing in on the first half. It's like the end of June. And we played a home game in the middle of the week, like a Wednesday afternoon home game. And it was a turn back the clock day. One of those promotions where the ball club, uh, they wear uniforms from 1966 and hot dog prices are 50 cents and beers, 75 cents, that type of thing. So needless to say, we had a full house. We just packed old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore because it was uh, that um, throwback day. Now, the Orioles sucked that year. I mean, we were terrible. At the end of the season, we wound up losing 95 games. Our original manager, Frank Robinson, was fired about a month into the season. It was that kind of year. So we were not getting big crowds night after night after night. In fact, the crowds were rather paltry. But with a big promotion, you fail the house. We had a lead going into the ninth inning, and we blew it in front of 50,000 people. Okay, so that was just the start of the day. Then the plan was for us to fly to Kansas City to begin a road trip. The game was only two hours and 28 minutes long. And we were supposed to land in uh, Kansas City at 7.45. Okay, plenty of time to get dinner. Lovely. So we finished the game and we get on the bus and we go to the airport, to BWI. And out on the tarmac is this old DC-9 plane, Emerald Airlines. Have you ever heard of Emerald Airlines? I have not. Emerald Airlines apparently is a charter. Well, (laughs) the reason we were supposed to have, like our new plane was supposed to be ready. Well, where is our new plane? Unfortunately, while they were putting the last touches on the plane, some Arab sheik was looking to buy a plane and came into the hangar and saw the plane and said, I want it. I'll pay you cash right now. And they said, the plane is yours. So now they just got to find something to take us 
from Baltimore to Kansas City. And what they came up with was this charter airline that no one has ever heard of called Emerald. We walk onto the plane and it smells like a barn. There are no overhead compartments. So everything we had, all of our carry-ons, any kind of briefcases, whatever, roller bags, all had to be stuffed under the seat. There was no first-class section, by the way. And like I said, it just smelled funky. And the two stewardesses looked really inexperienced. It almost felt like if you went into any Arby's and you got two of the women who work at Arby's and you said, hey, you want to be a stewardess and fly to Kansas City? And they go, yeah, okay, sure. That's who we had. Okay. I said, why does this smell so bad? And one of the stewardesses says, well, you know, the last trip we carried the ice capades. Okay. It was really fun because there were some big props that were like strapped into the seats and also some animals. I said, wait, you had animals strapped into regular seats? And they said, oh, yeah. Now, I don't know if they were in cages or they were just strapped, but like I said, oh, man, the smell of that thing was just terrible. So now they're trying to load the bags, and the baseball team travels not only with everyone's luggage, and the trip is usually a week, week and a half, so you have big suitcases, okay, because you're packing for seven to ten days. So everybody has one or two big suitcases, and there's all of the bats and balls and uniforms and various accoutrements that go with a baseball team, All of that stuff has to be packed into the plane before we could leave. If you are on a Delta flight with a regular airplane, well, there's storage room for 150 people and there's only 40 people on the flight. It's no problem. You just throw everything in in 10, 15 minutes and away you go. But here, they're like having to move bags around and able to try to fit things in like, you know, the world's worst Tetris game, trying to jam everything in. And when they finally do, they realize there are still a ton of bags of suitcases, personal luggage that, that can't fit. Well, you know, they're not going to get a second plane, So what they decide to do, tell me if you have ever heard this happen on any flight you have ever been on. They decide, well, we'll just put all the luggage in the main cabin. So they did. They jammed it all in where the galley is and 
you know, and the the middle Iowa. I mean, it must have broken 52 different FAA regulations. Like I said, our manager, Johnny Oates, would sit in the front row. Well, they said, can you please move? Because we need to put suitcases on those seats and strap them in. The uh, players, by the way, were already batshit crazy because normally when you walk onto a plane, a charter plane, there's beer and soda and snacks, none of that, none of that. And when the players said, can we have beer? The stewardesses said, not until we're in the air. That almost caused a mutiny. The captain gave her permission to give the ball players beer. So they just threw this <laughs> this chest of beer in the center aisle and go grab one, guys. And if you wanted uh, Coca-Cola, they had Shasta. So they're loading in all of the luggage. And now the pilot opens up the cockpit door and looks in the back and sees all of this stuff. And I'm sitting like in the fourth row. It's usually the managers, coaches, then announcers and team PR people, and then the ballplayers. The ballplayers all wanted to be in the back, and it was protocol that that was their space and their time. And so we broadcasters would not walk down the aisle during a flight and go over to one of the players and start asking him questions about, uh, you know, why he gave up six home runs that day or whatever. It was kind of their time free from us, but it meant that we had better seats because we sat in the front. There were only, you know, five or six of us. Well, the pilot looks out at this and goes, I don't like the looks of this. And then he goes back into the cockpit and takes off. You talk about a white knuckle flight. Well, the dinner was lasagna. I think that's what it was called anyway. And it was that kind of little tin foil packet. It was just unedible. And there was like a little salad portion too with no dressing. And the stewardess had a big garbage bag of salad dressing packets. And she would just fling them out to all of the ballplayers. We land in Kansas City. The team hotel was right near the ballpark. It was the Adams Mark Hotel, or Mark Adams. I don't remember. One of the two. It was right near the ballpark, which was about a half an hour out of town and an hour from the airport. So we finally get to the hotel. And like I said, 
uh, you know, under normal conditions, they normally figure a three-hour game when they make their estimate. So at a three-hour game, we were supposed to arrive at the hotel at 7.45. Well, the game took only two hours and 28 minutes, so you figure, okay, we're going to be there at 7.15. We arrived after 10 at night. And so I got a little room service, and my bag came at about 11 o'clock. And then I'm hearing stirring in the hall. I'm hearing angry voices in the hall. I go out, what's happening? A lot of guys didn't get their luggage. Why not? Well, what happened was this. When the plane landed... The clubhouse guys emptied all of the stuff in the baggage compartment and took it either to the ballpark or to the team hotel. They didn't know that there was luggage in the main cabin. And the plane had to be like in Boston or someplace. It was their next destination. So after they unloaded everything, they took off with half of our luggage. So those guys didn't get their bags until about 10 o'clock the next morning because the plane had to fly back from Boston to Kansas City to deliver all of the luggage. That was a wonderful trip. Another trip. Later on that year, same thing, Baltimore Orioles. We now had a plane, and it was not our custom plane, although I used to call it Orioles 1. It was a smaller plane that the Sacramento Kings used. And the seats were leather, and they were very nice, and the stewardesses were great and they did have snacks and all that other stuff. But because it was a small plane, it would always take another 45 minutes to pack everything because everything had to be wedged in there just right. Through the course of a season, you will usually play two to four marathon games. Games that last 14 innings, 15 innings, that type of thing. So we're finishing up a trip in Seattle, and we're supposed to fly that night from Seattle to Chicago. Next game, next night with the White Sox. It's one of those 12-inning games, and we lose. So the game is over at like 11.45, something like that. The team has to shower and eat, and usually it's about another hour and a half before you get on the plane. And then another 45 minutes while they load the bags. So we take off like in the middle of the night, like 2.30, 3 o'clock. And we're in the air like five minutes, and I'm looking out the window, and I can still read movie marquees. And I don't have 
x-ray vision. I'm thinking, wow, we are pretty low. Captain comes on, PA, and goes, uh, guys, um, somebody left a hatch open in the rear, so we're going to have to go back. So we circle back, and we land to close the hatch, but it's not like they can just take off again. No. There's a whole checklist of things that they have to go through again, which takes about a half an hour. So off we go. It's now like, uh, God, I don't know, three, four in the morning, something like that. Because we had a small plane, we did not have enough fuel to fly directly from Seattle to Chicago. Now, we're not talking Los Angeles to Sydney. We're not talking Los Angeles to Stockholm. We're talking Seattle to Chicago. We had a fuel stop in Sioux City, Iowa at 6 o'clock in the morning. I did not get out of the plane. It was already hot. You could see these mosquitoes were just throwing themselves, slamming against our windows. I cannot sleep on planes. Never could. Never, ever could. So I was awake this whole time. So add another 45 minutes while we do the fuel stop. And then we take off and fly into O'Hare. And we get to O'Hare at like 8 o'clock in the morning, Chicago time. We stagger off the plane. We get in our two buses. And we drive into town hitting rush hour traffic from O'Hare into Chicago. Hour and a half to get to our hotel. We did not get to bed until 10.30 in the morning. Again, just the beauty of charter flights. And the third one I'm going to tell you about is from 2011, or maybe 2010. I was back with the Mariners. We were on a road trip, and we were in Chicago, going to Minneapolis. It was a Sunday. We played a weekend series with the White Sox, and then we were going to fly to Minneapolis, which is only about an hour and a half, maybe a two-hour flight from Chicago and begin a three-game series the next night, Monday, with the Twins. So you figure, okay, this is going to be great because what usually happens if you have a Sunday game, you get on the plane, you fly to the next destination, you're there around 6, 7 o'clock, you can relax, have a nice dinner, and you're ready to go. And you figure, well, again, only an hour and a half, two-hour flight. This should be easy. 
we're staying at the Fauché Tower in Minneapolis, which is a cool old facade of a hotel, but the interior is all very high-tech and neon and, you know, in-groovy. But uh, in the lobby, right off to the lobby, there is a great old steakhouse called Manny's Steakhouse. If you ever go to Minneapolis, make sure you go to Manny's Steakhouse. They have on the menu, in addition to porterhouse and strip and sirloin and filet, they have what is known as, this is what they call it, the bludgeon of beef. The bludgeon of beef is 50-5-0 ounces of steak. It is a cow. Well, when we go, the whole broadcast crew will order one and we'll all split it. And it's great. It's very satisfying for six people. Get a couple of sides and and it's lovely. I spoke to a waiter, kind of going off on a tangent. I spoke to a waiter in uh, in a later visit. And he was recommending this steak or that steak. And I said, "Uh, what about the bludgeon of beef? He says, yeah, we got the bludgeon of beef. I said, you don't recommend it? And he goes, people who want the bludgeon of beef come in and order the bludgeon of beef. I said, please tell me no, but do people come in and just order it for themselves? And he goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. In fact, most of the people who order the bludgeon of beef will order it for themselves. It's unbelievable. Uh, At the time... I was with another person and we split like a New York strip, which was 19 ounces and neither of us could finish it. That's 19 ounces, two people, 50 ounces, one person. Yeah, do the math. Anyway, so that was our plan. We're going to go to Manny's and have a bludgeon of beef. Well, it turns out it was one of those on-again, off-again, rainy days in Chicago. And it was the last time that the Mariners were going to be in Chicago that year. And usually, in a case like that, especially for an afternoon, they will wait out the rain as long as they can so that they can get the game in and the Mariners will not have to some time later in the season, take an off day and fly into Chicago to make up the game. So we play a couple of innings, it rains, on comes the tarp, we're sitting there for two hours, we play again, another rain delay, another hour and a half, we play again, another rain delay. This game took like six hours. So now it's like 6 o'clock, and we lose, of course, we lose. We get into the bus, and by this time, 
it was pouring. It was absolutely like it's a hurricane conditions. It was pouring. Just running from the clubhouse like five yards to the bus, soaked, just soaked to the skin. So we're sitting on the bus, and finally we take off, and we go to the plane. And we get off the bus, again, more rain. We're walking up the gangplank, getting soaked. We get in the plane. And so it's now like 7.30. And we're going, well, I guess we get there at like 9. And maybe, you know, we could still have like, you know, maybe not a bludgeon of beef, but, you know, maybe a nice appetizer. We could still have kind of a nice dinner. If we take off here in the next 45 minutes. We're waiting and waiting and waiting. And an hour goes by. There's no truck. So they call over to the stadium to find out what happened. And apparently, they loaded up the truck. And these are giant trucks. Needless to say, to have all of the baseball equipment and all of the luggage. These are like moving vans. These are giant trucks. Like I said, it was pouring rain, right? So the visibility was really bad. And as the driver is backing out our truck from Comiskey Park, or whatever the hell they call it now, he veers off a little bit and runs over a fire hydrant. And it destroys the back suspension of the truck. So in addition to the fact that you have a fire hydrant going and you needed the fire department to come out and take care of that calamity. Now you got a bus that can't move. And it's not like you can just go to U-Haul and get another truck and come over and move all of the stuff. (laughs) We needed a giant moving van. So what they did, very resourceful, they called over to Wrigley Field and said, Do you guys have a truck? Apparently, the Milwaukee Brewers were coming into Chicago to play the Cubs. And they had just arrived. So they were unloading their truck. And we said, can can we borrow your truck when you're done? And they said, sure. But it took like half an hour for them to unload their truck. Then they had to drive from Wrigley Field to Comiskey Park, U.S. Cellular Bank One, I don't know what the hell they call it, move all of the stuff from our truck into the new truck. Then the new truck, had to drive all the way out to O'Hare and load up the plane. It's 11 o'clock. We don't get to Minneapolis until 12.30. Again, an hour and a half flight, supposed to be there at 7.15, and we're there 
almost six hours late. And those are three examples of what it is like to fly charter. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention that when we were on the Emerald Airlines flight that I called over one of the stewardesses and I said, how do I sign up for your rewards program? She did not find that funny. Anyway, that'll do it for this edition of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, and Jason and Bruce Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, easily done, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's my email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I will write you back. Follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. Also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Subscribe to this podcast. And uh, if you could give me a five-star review on iTunes, that would really be nice. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.